Thanks for the memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode 55, The Post, from 2017. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And Mike, we are nearing the end of Hanks the Memories. We've got four more. We still got a couple great ones, which I'm very excited about, including this one. So to talk about this, we have not one, but we have two guests. We wanted to make sure that the circulation of our proverbial paper was at an all-time high. We want to bring in two different guests. First off, a co-host of the The Contenders podcast right here on the Cage Club Podcast Network. We have Tobin Addington. Hello, Tobin. Hello, hello. And secondly, last but not least, we have a Meryl Streep expert, the host of the Not Her Again podcast, which began with Meryl and has since evolved into other actors like Mike, you and I have done over different shows. We have Michael Domenico. Hello, Michael. Hello. Thanks for having me back. I feel like so soon. Larry Crown feels like just yesterday. Well, you know, when we have one of your fearless leading women and strong women like Tobin has on his podcast, like we need to have you back. We have Julia. We've got Meryl. Uh, we're just waiting for Catherine Hepburn to show up in one of these movies. I don't know that she's going to. I don't know that she will ever cross over with any act. Maybe. I don't know. But we're glad to have both of you here. Excited glad to be here. So now, Mike, you had never seen this movie before. So if people out there are like you and have not seen this movie, please hit us with a plot summary for what's basically a prequel to All the President's Men. That's exactly how I was going to start. This is a direct prequel to All the President's Men. But it is about the infamous Pentagon Papers. So the movie starts in the shit in Nam in 1966. Um, State Department analyst Daniel Ellsberg is out there at the Secretary of Defense. He's taking notes. He's not happy with what he sees, so a few years later, while he's working for the Rand Corporation, he engages in a bit of espionage. He steals classified documents relating to the war in Vietnam going back years, amounting to hundreds and hundreds of pages of these documents. He leaks them to the New York Times, and they run this in the paper, but this movie is not about the New York Times, it's about the Post. And what is going on with the Post is they are looking for sort of the big scoop to put them on top. Meryl Streep plays Kate Graham. Uh, she sort of inherited the paper. She is a holder of the stocks. She is putting the paper public during this time, so the stockholders are very nervous about all the decisions that are being made. Hanks plays the editor-in-chief, Ben Bradley. He runs the Post. They're a small ragtag paper at this point. They're covering Nixon's second daughter's wedding. Uh, however, once the whole Vietnam report starts to come out, they burst into action, and one of them has some contacts that he used to know because he worked for the Rand Corporation. It turns out uh, to be none other than Daniel Ellsberg himself, and he gives him the rest of the documents, which the Post then turned into an article. However, the White House is suing the New York Times to stop them from doing any more reporting on this classified information. The Post isn't sure if they should publish or not, if they should write the story, but uh, Hanks is just all go about it. Everybody is behind this. This is going to be, this is important. It's their big break. They don't really have any moral quandaries about it. They're just sort of trying to navigate the legalities of it. Uh, it all sort of comes down to Meryl Streep's big decision because the paper is now uh, public company. Uh, she is in control. What she does will sort of define what happens down the line. Uh, they end up publishing against the threat of indictments and going to prison. And when they do, every other paper in the city sort of follows suit, publishes their findings as well. Uh, there's a little more going on than just that, even though that does sound like a lot. The end. The only thing I want to add as a uh, contender's lifted kind of two bits of film trivia, not even trivia, I just want to talk about how there's obviously Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep, we talked about them, Carrie Coon, my absolute favorite, Bob and David from Mr. Show, Allison Brie, Sarah Paulson, Jesse Plemons, Zach Woods, it's like... Nominate it now because they also play off each other pitch perfectly. 
It is amazing. There's movies, and I think we even talked about it maybe on a podcast before recently, where it's like you see all these actors in a movie, you're like, how can this be bad? And then you watch it, it's like, oh no, this is a bad movie. Like, especially with comedies, it's like, I love all these people, how is this not funny? And then here you're like, oh my, what? And then you're like, oh no, Steven Spielberg just knows what he's like. Believe it or not, he's good at filmmaking. So, Michael, our resident Meryl Streep expert, uh, I'm assuming you've seen this before. Can you please give us your thoughts on the movie as well as your favorite moment or favorite moments or parts or whatever of the post? Yeah. So I had seen this movie when it came out a few years ago, and I've watched it a few times. I hadn't seen it in a little bit until I rewatched it the other night. But yeah, I like very unironically love this movie. It's like a movie, right? It's like you can kind of see the screenplay at work. And like, I think it's Liz Hanna's first script. She co-wrote it. But like, there are definitely moments of like, when they're talking about the prospectus language and that to, you know, see whether the investors would pull out when they're going public during this crazy week. And the guy at the beginning of the movie is like, there's no way anything crazy is going to happen the next like week. And you're like, all right, like, we, like we get it. And there's a lot of like stake setting of like people being like, yeah, but do you understand what Meryl Streep or whatever, what Kay Graham like has to lose? Like, I'm going to spell it out for you in three different ways with three different characters so like there's a there's a lot of like that but it's just like it's a great movie that like one of my favorite parts was seeing like the fox logo before and i was like oh i just like miss having another studio that would just like spend 50 million dollars on literally the post <laughs> which is like about the pentagon papers but like not from the perspective of the times and when mike was giving that little recap the whole part of like it starts in vietnam and then he like steals the pentagon papers like that's literally like a movie and they just like yeah do that in five minutes they're like oh okay this is just setting the scene and then you're like oh i guess we're gonna go to the times now and they're like not really like don't worry about that too much we're gonna go to the post like a regional paper that is covering like the wedding of of nixon's daughter it's a very weird take on it but i just like love it and i love this kind of movie it's so entertaining to watch it's very like homage to all the president's men like you were saying before and in terms of my favorite part i mean one of my favorite parts really just is that atmosphere i don't know sometimes the cliched nature of it all which is just so great but i think my true favorite part is just any scene where meryl streep is wearing her gold caftan and is like barking <laughs> orders to people and like telling people like this is not my father's paper and you're like yeah go girl like lo love it so just that entire like the ridiculousness of her wearing a caftan during all of these business meetings for like the last like 40 minutes of the movie is like pure gold and that's also the color of the caftan but yeah i would say that that's like my favorite my favorite final stretch there seems to be criticism of this movie on Letterboxd. I mean, criticism veiled in four-star reviews. But it's like, this is just a movie. And I feel like you saying it's a movie. Like, it's, it's just like, I think a lot of what we were talking about, and Toby, you were on the Bridge of Spies episode too, where it's like, you kind of know what you're going to get with Spielberg, and yet still it's like, how is this this good? And I think this scratches an itch for me that Bridge of Spies didn't because of the journalism angle. But I do want to, you know, Michael, you just saying like, it, just uh, describing it as a movie. It's like, yeah, like, he's just so good at that and the way that he stitches everything together. So, uh, Toby, you, you feel any of that from like the Bridge of Spies perspective and overall thoughts and favorite moment? Yeah, so I saw this movie kind of the way I did Bridge of Spies in the lead up to the Oscars as like, oh, this is one of the ones I have to catch up with <laughs> as the Oscars approach in, in 2017. And I felt like I liked it at the time, but I didn't I didn't love it. And in rewatch, I haven't seen it since then. Um, I rewatching it for this. I love this movie so yeah. deeply. Mm -hmm. There are things in this movie that didn't work as well for me the first 
first time around. I think maybe because I was just kind of tired. <laughs> you know, like it was the end of Oscar season. I'm like, oh, I gotta watch The Post. And, you know, I love uh, All the President's Men is one of my all time favorite movies. And so to see, you know, a, a, another sort of angle on Ben Bradley in the Post's newsroom. And I mean, I, it's I, that's catnip for me. And but for whatever reason, it felt it felt kind of disjointed. I felt like there were too many disparate threads going on. And this time they all really focused for me, both through the paper and then through Meryl Streep. This focused more on this watch on on K for me, even though this is, I realize, hangs for the memories. Oh, it's okay. And so if I were to point to a scene that really stood out to me this time, it was the scene, oddly maybe, the scene between Kay and Robert McNamara, where she goes to tell him that she is is going to have to make a decision about uh, whether or not they're going to print the actual study that he had commissioned, the Rand Corporation study, the Pentagon Papers. It, the reason I think it stuck out to me this time, it, it, was, a, it was a scene I had remembered before. Uh, this Bruce Green was playing uh, Robert McNamara, and they have to navigate, they have to get across to us, the audience, that they have this how deep their friendship is that these two people and how big a potential betrayal it is that she's going to print these and I just felt this time I wasn't burdened by having to get all that information and I was just able to kind of watch the two of them and, and watch Spielberg direct the scene where it moves so fluidly between tones and the cat and mouse kind of between the two of them as he's figuring out what she's actually there to do and she's feeling her way through it and she has the great line where she says I'm here for your advice not your permission and it's like one of the first times in the movies that she, you can feel her kind of like finding her footing as at this time a woman in charge of a company at this sort of precarious stage and that was the a, a scene to me that really stood out this time but you could you could just go through the movie I mean the, so, there are so many sort of great two-person scenes in this movie I do totally agree you can feel the screenplay at work I had the same thing in my notes this the setting of the stakes is pretty apparent in especially in the like first third of the movie you feel that and then also when their reporters are all talking over one another about what they're learning in in the report and you're like okay I see now you're just giving me all the information and who said what when in 1960 whatever this and this president did this but I don't know for me it all it all cohered this time in a way that it hadn't the first time around I don't know that I like it better than Bridge of Spies I just have such a deep love for that movie I think they're both pretty comparable in terms of sort of excellent you know pieces of Hollywood cinema that you don't don't get this way anymore I had a similar kind of experience where I saw this in theaters and I was like, I like this. Like, I admire that it's really good and I like the journalism of it all, but I liked it more today knowing what it was because I feel like in my mind, Spotlight sets such a high bar of like what a journalism movie could or should be. And so in this movie, when they're like on the ground and like sorting through all the papers, I'm like, that's what I want. Give me two hours of that. Like, that's like the whole like, you know, Rachel McAdams like pouring through papers in Spotlight. And then I was kind of disappointed in the theaters, but then seeing it today and knowing what, I mean, disappointed still knowing it's a really good movie, but like knowing what it was and sort of how it was going to evolve, I liked it better today. So Mike, I'm interested to hear from you who had never seen this before, if it connected with you. Like, I know you said you really liked it, but like, were you sure what it kind of was or how how did you respond to it the first time in favorite parts? Right. So, I mean, this was a total surprise. Like, I remember when this came out, but it sort of got lost in the mix. It wasn't really on my radar at the time. And I kind of just thought it was, you know, not just not to write off Spotlight because I love that movie, but I thought it was, you know, another journalism movie of the times. And I had no clue that it was historical hanks, that this was, you know, based on real events, that all, all the nine yards about it. Like, I, I was, it was all complete surprise. And I love this stuff. Like, my brother is is like a Nixon Wikipedia. Like, I don't know why, but ever since he was in high school <laughs> and like this kind of stuff is the thing like we talk about from time to time. And he, this is really up his alley. So like, I recommended this movie to him when I was done with it and I loved it. Like I, I just soaked it up and I liked how it wasn't all newsroom, even though I love newsroom stuff. Like I love broadcast news, right? That's a 
terrific movie, but that's another one that takes it outside and gets into the relationships. And, and that's a ma- major theme in this one as well, where, uh, you know, it's like, you know, when do you cross a line with a politician into friendship and to the point where you start protecting them and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I liked what it was about, like, you know, just sort of on the surface, just all the um, Pentagon paper, espionage kind of stuff, like getting that, reporting on that. But then also, like, the interactions between the people, all the stuff with the board. I just really enjoyed it from top to bottom. I think, I don't know if this is copping out. I haven't done this in a while. It's nothing really specific, but I just really think Spielberg captured the energy necessary for a uh, journalistic film, right? It's easy to sort of not get bored, but like you want, like you read the newspaper because there's lots of stories in it, right? So it's, it could be sort of hard to focus on one story the whole time and drag that out. And I think he did a great job of making it interesting. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. And and the cast is incredible too. So it was a very nice surprise. I think this is the first time in a while, maybe that like all four or all the people on our the podcast have like all like unanimously like loved a thing it feels like we, we've all liked things before like we all liked bridge of spies but i wasn't as on board so this is a kind of uncharted territory for a while in hanks <laughs> i mean it's been not a rocky road but there's there's been some uh, some strife some discord for for kind of a while here so i'm glad glad to finally you know kind of return to some normalcy Two other actors I want to nominate. This is uh, Michael Stuhlbarg in this movie. It's the year of him. Uh, He's in not only this movie, but he's also in The Shape of Water, and he's also in Call Me By Your Name, which all were nominated for Best Picture. It's like, what? 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 Like, I I remember not knowing who that guy was, and then, like, within, like, a month and a half, being like, oh, is this guy just in everything now? Okay. We also have Tracy Letts, who I did not realize was married to Carrie Coon, which is, like, a tremendous power couple. She, I love her from The Leftovers. I mentioned her before. I want to point out two things in this movie. Apparently, this, one of them was a reference to or a nod to or whatever all the president's been but there's two sort of pushes in zoom in like inch in on characters there's the one where tom hanks is recalling the night of jfk's assassination and talking about how his mind was like in terms of like what how jackie saw him and all that that i think minute long slow push in is reminiscent or kind of lifted from like there's a six minute version of that in all the president's been pushing on robert redford so a nice little uh nod there but the same kind of thing and I don't know how to say this without having Michael leave the recording immediately. I can't always connect with Meryl. Early on in this movie, I get that she's conflicted, but I wasn't exactly... I, did, I didn't know how to read her character either time. But there's that moment where she's on the phone and, you know, she's Meryl. Like, she's full, like, capital M, Meryl. And it's when she says, let's go, let's do it, let's go, let's go, let's go. And, like, that pushing, I'm like, oh my god, like, that's, like, the greatest thing in the entire... Like, that might be the greatest thing I've ever seen. It's <laughs> that moment where I'm just like, oh, I get it now. Those two, like, pushes in just, like, where it's just an actor and the camera and that's it. And it's like, oh my god. Like, the, like there's a reason reason why you cast these actors in these roles because like they can do that and then just embody the screen yeah you know uh just quickly Meryl Streep looked just like one of my grandparents in this movie so I had no problem the hair the the clothes but I found this performance to be like quite unlike a Meryl Streep performance I've seen she's in like a certain position of power or is the only one that can do something right but yet she's in this world of aggressive men like everybody's very overbearing and yet at the end she still has the strength to do what she wants to make her own decision and stuff but I was on edge I'll just say with her performance and I really enjoyed it because it was like not used to seeing her play a strong woman but also 
sort of not, you know, in a lot of times. Like that first boardroom meeting when she's about to speak and then the guy next to her like goes through her whole spiel for her. And it, like I was like, whoa. I would love to know from our Merrill expert, a resident Merrill expert, how, Meckley, you see this kind of fits in sort of the arc of her career. Yeah, that's a good question. This is kind of going back to something I was saying about like, you know, when Fox would give Spielberg $50 million and be like, I don't know, go make the post, like whatever, call the papers. It had like 19 different names. I think that this is definitely like a continuation of she is both someone who is like a movie star, but also someone who is different in all the roles that she does and does not tend to carry herself into roles. Like Joey, you were saying at the beginning, like I've also done some podcasts on Julia Roberts and Katherine Hepburn and like (laughs) they do not really disappear into into roles like in the same way. Like they kind of carry themselves through it and that's what makes them great. Like you want to go to a movie and see, you know, Katherine Hepburn as this character, but not really see this character. And I think that Meryl is like very different, right? Like, you know, this isn't really like her other performances, even in the like years prior. It's not like what she was doing in Into the Woods or August Osage County or Doubt or Julie and Julia. Like those are all like really different movies. But the thing kind of connecting them is that she's at this point in her career now for whatever reason that like adults will go see these movies and like they're not like your typical you know Marvel movies they're not going to make 300 million dollars domestically but it's like a movie that you just have to kind of put her in the center give her a different character and like people will show up and I think that this character is so interesting for her because it's like you're kind of just saying like it's a character that is both like holds all the power, but also is like completely unaware of that. And I think that when you think of some of her more iconic late career performances, like maybe Doubt or Devil Wears Prada or The Iron Lady, it's like she's playing women that are like very much in control of basically everything around them and can snap their fingers and get whatever they want done to some extent, or maybe quite literally as the witch and into the woods. But like that is like not the case in this movie at all. Like she is like constantly doubting herself and doubting her own ability, like doubting what her position is even though like she literally could do what she wants it's more just like kind of her over the course of the movie like learning that you know I'm the person who can control this and if I say publish we publish if I say don't publish we don't like it is ultimately up to me so I think that it's really almost like a boss lady version of like the characters Mm -hmm. that she was playing and then she kind of takes this character where it's like oh that power is like there if anything it's like more front here like we're constantly telling you like this is your paper like do whatever you want with it and like someone learning to grapple with that in a way that is very different from like no one had to tell Miranda Priestly like this is your your magazine did you know that just FYI like you run Vogue it's a very interesting role in that sense like you're saying like it's very much a, a subversion of what you know I think audiences in the last like 12 years or so had come to expect from like your Meryl Streep adult movie like it's not going to be the one where she's like the one in the driver's seat which I think is a uh, an interesting twist on everything. Sorry, just monologued about Meryl for like five minutes. I love that. And you you put your finger on something that I think maybe I appreciated more seeing it this time and why I connected more to her I think going into it, the first time I saw it, I kind of maybe expected the I'm Meryl and I'm in charge version, but that what she's doing is so much more interesting in this. And I and it really feels like, you know, what you say about this being a movie about her kind of becoming the kind of character she gets to be in these other movies is such kind of new territory in terms of late career Meryl. And I loved this time watching her sort of find her way through that. I guess the other thing is that it allows her to demonstrate a kind of vulnerability without the kind of slapsticky flippity gibbet kind of stuff, which 
she does really well, right? Like she can do big funny really well. But to be able to defeat it early by these big rooms of men, <laughs> you know, or to allow herself to be sort of overrun by them and then eventually kind of find her footing, there's some kind of bravery in that, I think, too, for somebody who has made a career uh, recently of being so kind of in charge. So yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Anything else? Any other moments before we talk about ways that this could be improved? I don't have any ideas about that. I have other things that I want to say about good things, but any other favorite moments or scenes or... Because I mean, just in terms of going back to the cast, like, it feels like every time, like just when Jesse Plemons shows up, I'm like, oh my God, I forgot that he's in this movie. He basically is like, I need to call on a friend. And then it's Zach Woods. It's like, wait, yes. wait what? Yes. How is they? What is going on? You know, like the behind the scenes, like Bob Odenkirk and Jesse Plemons and the guy who played Gail on Breaking Bad, they're all in this. There's kind of a Breaking Bad reunion. We got four actors, Odenkirk, Plemons, Carrie Coon, and Michael Stuhlbarg, all in different seasons of Fargo. Like there's all these like prestige things. Like, And it's a journalism movie. It's all these things that I love somehow coming together in a way that I'm like, it's such a weird kind of delightful just around every corner. If for this kind of movie where you know how things are going to play out, it still manages to surprise me in other ways, in charming ways, and in ways like that. It's so funny. I, I knew Odenkirk was in it, but I did not know David Cross was in it. And it, it, it even took me a minute to figure out it was him. And I was like, it's so funny how they're almost like the anti-Woodward and Bernstein or something to me. But I love, okay, so it's the Hanks show, right? His intro is one of my favorite <laughs> intros of his in a while. And it's not like one of those where like you hear about him first either. Like we just are presented with him at breakfast with Meryl's as Meryl Streep. At first I was like, oh, they're just best friends or whatever. I didn't, or associates, but I didn't realize, you know, until I figured it out. Obviously he, he works for her and everything like that. But I found that scene, that breakfast scene was a really great scene. It, it, there were some a couple of really long takes. I think it speaks to what we're all kind of feeling about this film being like a quote movie where it's like you feel them acting and it's not pretentious. It's like what it's all about. Like it's great stuff. Like there's almost a hint of like his girl Friday running through their relationship or something. And I love all of that going on there. Yeah. They have a very interesting dynamic in this movie. It's kind of like you're saying, it's almost like a screwball comedy in some ways when they interact with each other because they're both like, we'll get into Tom Hanks, I guess, in a second, but Tom Hanks is coming at it from a completely different level of like, I'm really going in with like the voice. This is like this old newspaper guy. Like, I'm just, I'm going to do the thing. And Meryl's doing much more of this like, oh, I'm restrained. Like, you know, like I'm on this like arc of like finding my voice, but like Ben Bradley's like, yeah, I'm here. Like, it's just like they're meeting each other all the time in like very different places. And it's just these like very funny interactions between them in a movie that is like ostensibly about something incredibly serious. And they're sharp elbowed interactions too. I mean, they they poke at each other. You know, they have great laughs and stuff together too. But that first breakfast scene they have together and he tells her not to put her finger in his eye. Like, and they they sit there for a moment and she's sort of like shaken by that. And, you know, they go at each other, I think, in, in ways that it's fun to see both these actors up their game to play with one another you know I just I like that it was more a more bristly relationship than than just like a power couple kind of thing and what kind of is special about the behind the scenes of it all is that this is the first time I think that Meryl had ever worked with Steven Spielberg and this is like I don't know Hanks is like fifth movie or seventh movie like between producing and acting like he's just done so many things with Spielberg right and so he knows the drill she kind of didn't like he doesn't really rehearse apparently and also the making of this movie he wanted to like this was in the height of fake news when we thought the fake news was like the big 
big thing that we have to worry about. How how naive we were. But like they wrote this, I think the script was finished in in May. Hold on, I want to make sure I get these dates right because it's it's crazy to me. It's crazy how quick the turnaround was. Filming started in May, finished in July, was cut two weeks later, was out that fall. Like they shot Ready Player One. And then after that movie was done, even before that came out, so between the time that they finished, they wrapped on Ready Player One and they released it, they did all of this, that they shot it, edited it, and released it. And it's just like, that's amazing. But the dynamic is that because Hanks knew the way that Spielberg worked and knew that this was going to be an extra tight turnaround, like, we need to get this done, he apparently, in his kind of role as publisher or editor-in-chief or whatever, kind of seemingly took the newsroom under his wing and, like, got all the actors together. There's, like, this whole write-up on IndieWire, which is fascinating and fantastic, and, like, he just became that role in real life and was like, hey, we're going to be in this together. It's kind of these, like, insurmountable odds, like, kind of like, hey, we've got 4,000 pages to read and we got we got to publish tomorrow. And it seems like, according to this IndieWire thing, that he did that, because he had been such... I mean, obviously just a Hollywood veteran, but a Spielberg veteran, and to see him in that role and kind of Merrill as like the, like her character weirdly, like kind of unsure of what she's kind of like obviously competent and like going to kill it, but like unsure of kind of what she's walking into and to see it play out on screen as it did off screen, it's kind of this weird, wonderful parallel. Give Hanks the Father of the Year award already because, you know, like he's coming <laughs> behind the scenes and doing it too, not just on screen. Uh, I think that's fascinating to find out that Spielberg made this movie waiting for the digital effects of Ready Player One to be finished. <laughs> A total cool down back to basics traditional filmmaking after, you know, trying to sort of use future tech to make a movie. I don't know what they were doing with that film. I'm warming up to it, whatever. But that, you know, that's just awesome. Like, I feel that in the movie, too, where it's like... You know, like we're saying, like you can kind of feel it's a movie, and that's what's so charming about it. And yeah, so it's great to know that he still has his chops after like straying or experimenting, we'll say, so far mm. away from this kind of stuff. Now, on the flip side of the coin, what about this movie doesn't work? Are there things here that could be better? Again, it feels kind of um, wrong of us to criticize an Academy Award-nominated film and Steven Spielberg and all the like. It just, what are we even doing? What are like, what are we doing here? I feel like my major complaint too is like the one thing you never ever hear which is I wish this was kind of longer I mean I wish we could get into this nitty gritty a little deeper to be honest in in all areas as well like introduce more characters like shoot off on another tangent give us a sea story or something and and you know and that's not necessarily a complaint or anything saying the movie's too short or wanting more like that but that, that kind of is my main complaint. That and I think the Watergate shot at the end did not sit well with me. Uh, but the more, I, the more I think about it, the more I think it's kind of like you need to leave the theater on kind of a chuckle. Uh, it's sort of the, it reminded me of uh, Sully, Joey, where like that movie leaves on a yeah. laugh after being pretty tense. Yeah. Uh, and, and this thing tries to do, and this movie tries to do the same thing. I don't quite think it's as successful for me but i understand where it's coming from so i let it go i've said before and i'll say again that i would watch like a 12-hour version of spotlight i don't know if i would watch a 12-hour version of this you know i wouldn't mind it being longer again it's kind of for being an hour 56 it's on the still on the sort of shorter end of hanks i mean lately he's had a couple of shorter ones but uh i think i think it could serve to be a little bit longer uh tobin what about you anything about this that doesn't work for you that you don't love about this movie yeah there are things i don't love about this movie although i I don't want that to be interpreted as me not 
liking it. I think I mentioned this a little bit in my long spiel, but I do feel like some of the scenes that where all the reporters are reading from various pages, I can feel them talking to me instead of to each other uh, about, oh, so and so, this was my way back in 63. I know, I'm blah, blah, blah. It felt a little spoon feedy in a way. I give it such a pass because the rest of the movie works so well. And because, you know, knowing that they were making this quickly, if this is Spielberg making the movie at a sprint, like, okay, so some of the blocking, like, is, you know, like they, they just sort of got it done and went for it. And you, that energy, I think, carries a lot through the movie. I mean, minor complaints. There are things there are things like that. You could see the, I think maybe as Michael said, you could see the machinery working a little bit. Um, I sort of like duck past that real quick because I, I, <laughs> I don't want to dwell. I don't want to dwell on it. No, I like this movie a lot. There's nothing big that I think you would want to change here. Michael, what about you? Anytime that Meryl is not in her gold caftan, that's like a real <laughs> negative. And I think the other thing that is sometimes a little bit weird about this movie, and I get that they have to address this, but it's like, it feels like they really have to shoehorn in the Times all the time. And they have mm. to be like, yeah, like it's the Washington Post against the government and the New York Times. And like, they're just constantly like, oh yeah, so either we win or the Times wins. And like, it'll be great. And you're like, wait, what, what was that last part? Like, they just kind of like, even the part that I like, when they're getting the Supreme Court decision and I think it's Carrie Coon on the phone and then someone walks out and kind of says like we win like we can publish like but it's like the way he says it is so funny because like obviously he says we win and then people literally erupt in cheers and like more quietly because everyone's cheering he's like and the times wins and you're like I don't even know if he had to say like like they get it like I don't know sometimes it feels like they're it's a little bit of a tortured way where they're like, we can't really do a Pentagon Papers movie just about the Washington Post without addressing the fact that they like did not publish this first. But sometimes it feels a little bit tortured when they're trying to just be like, oh yeah, and the Times, yeah, they're in this with us. I think in reality, the Times won the Pulitzer, but the Post did not, right? So like, this is kind of the the, the scrappy underdog that did a thing that the history reflects well on, but like in terms of the awards, the prestige, like this did not win Best Picture. It's, it's the same kind of like underdog story. Like, you did a great thing, kid, but it's again like you, you're always going to be compared to older brothers, sort of. It's they're like the bad news bears, right? They like they make it all the way to the finals, but like they get thrown out at the plate or something like that. And, and you know, we get to the times for a minute, and I see it, and it's like. I don't want the Daily Planet movie. Like, I'm good for now. Like, give me the Daily Bugle movie. That's what this is more like. He's like, Hanks is reminding me a little more of J. Jonah Jameson, you know, than Perry White, right? Like, he's a little more gruff and rough and throwing shit at his uh, interns and, you know, telling them to go spy on people and everything. I don't think Perry White was that, uh, I think his morals were a little more old school, I guess they would say, but. I don't think you can view the movie as anything other than connected to all the president's men. It's just cinematically. And in that in that way, what this feels to me like is an origin story. Like the Washington Post becomes a national paper through the Watergate scandal. And, and you know, I mean, Jason Robards wins an Oscar for playing Ben Bradley in that movie. Like this is, there are connections between these two movies in all kinds of ways. And, I, and so just as this is a, kind of an origin story for Kay Graham, it's an origin story for this paper that is going to go from a limited circulation, local Washington paper to being the other national paper. I think that that's, again, seeing it then the second time and seeing it through that lens made me appreciate it a lot more. I don't think I have anything that I want. It's not, I don't think it's perfect. I don't think that, like, I think the beginning, it, I, I, I'm not fully invested until about, like, maybe 40 minutes in. And I don't know why that is. Maybe on the third time I'll, I'll be in it more. But I feel like even this time I was just like, okay, like, I still really like this movie, but I'm not on board and I can't 
pinpoint why. But then like once it gets going, I'm like, oh yeah, now I'm now I'm with it. To me, I had trouble getting my bearings. Uh, I think first of all, I did not expect to be in in Nam, right? Like in the shit, literally, like from the point of view of a civilian. But then we're on like uh, like a presidential jet with like the secretary of this and that, and I'm like, who are these people? Like I'm not a history student, so like I think part of for me was sort of getting my bearings and like okay all right these are like real people (laughs) they did real things after this movie i i should go like look some stuff up and i don't necessarily love to have to do that after a movie but i do i do think that it maybe is like a little cluttered or something going on in the beginning because those are people that are integral but we don't focus on them for a long time Uh, and they eventually come back but they're never going to be central again to the story and I wonder if some of that is also like what Michael was saying before, that you can see the screenplay at work. Like, it doesn't feel as special. Like, in a way, it kind of feels like really well done, but by the book, maybe? I don't know. I also do want to say, and I think we, I don't know if we've mentioned him by name, but the guy who steals the Pentagon paper, like, that is Matthew Reese, who I didn't realize how, like, integral to, like, latter-day Hanks he is in his career. He's going to come back in two movies. And again, journalism adjacent, too, because he's a journalist in... Mr. Rogers in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. So he's not a journalist in this, but he's, you know, in a source. And then in that, he's a journalist. And like, I love him from the Americans. And now two of the final four Hanks movies so far, or like to now he's in and like kind of an important part. Like he's the star of the Mr. Rogers movie. So like, it's a, it's a weird reconnection, I guess there. I want to point out a few other things about the movie. There's the scene where they're reading the first piece from the times. They send the kid to like spy on the front page. He's like, it's going to be a Neil thing. And so they all run to the newsstand in the morning. And like, just the way that he captures like the wind blowing the papers up in the air, like seeing their life kind of like tumble away from them, like them reading the paper and just having it all blow way was beautiful like Spielberg like you could feel I feel like he put a lot a little more energy into that sequence like it looks iconic like it looks like it's from you know Life Magazine or something like that at those moments I was like holy shit he's shining in that moment then similarly I guess in like the magic of journalism sense there's the actual physical like putting together of the print of them like aligning all the type which I think is beautiful and then there's the thing where like we still like the characters don't all know if they're going to print or not and like to see Bob Odenkirk at his desk and then like the whole newsroom shake as the printing press starts up and him just kind of smile slightly just like like that's magical like that's mm. amazing and I just it's just so good yeah it's genuinely insane that like that process produces papers that like go all over you're just like what like you do this every night this seems like really archaic <laughs> It's like similarly how if you see mail get sorted, it's like, how does anything we mail ever get anywhere? The systems of distributing like information in general, it's a, it's insane. I, I think it was like a joke on The Simpsons where I finally realized how troublesome yelling stop the press is if it's not a very pertinent thing to do because it takes like hours to reset the press <laughs> if you need to and like uh... yeah, I mean like from my time at the Ramapo News when we did like a we did like a weekly newspaper in college and it would all be digital but then like if we had like even the digital process is like when you send in the files to like to actually physically be printed like if you mess something up and like it's there's such a panic like oh no no we need to stop this like we need to like it just even like a minute later it's like oh no this is like an ordeal because like they it's undergoing so boy, uh, man, it is, uh, it's not fun. I mean, it's fun, but it's also not fun. Like it's terrifying feeling. And the only other scene that I want to point out, and this is just a Mr. Show reference, is that when Bob Odenkirk is going, when he's trying to get in touch with Matthew Reese, he's going from payphone to payphone, like, you know, call or whatever. He's just fumbling with all those coins. And I was just thinking of the change for dollar sketch. But just, you know, whenever I see Bob Odenkirk and coins, I'm just thinking of that. Any other thoughts about 
the post before we do a couple of trivia and play some games and uh, nominate for some awards. Only thing to mention a name we have not brought up yet, although we've mentioned the, the cast of this movie is Ellen Lewis, who's the casting director, does Spielberg and Scorsese movies along with a bunch of other stuff, but most notably those two directors in terms of her filmography, who, as I understand it, these directors leave a lot of leeway to to her to like assemble a cast and just phenomenal work i mean phenomenal work in this movie as we've said so ellen lewis way way to go yeah because there's people who just kind of like pop up for minutes you know like stolberg like we mentioned but like i recognize like a lot like you know even allison brie like she doesn't have a major role zach woods you know this guy from the office like the later years like what's he doing bruce greenwood is like i know him as the new captain pike in star trek so it's like sarah paulson you know oh, yeah yep it's crazy it's like everybody's here there's you know they've got a, a purpose and they feel like they should be there it's really great mm-hmm. and by the way allison brie and like meryl streep scene with like talking while they're while the granddaughters are sleeping on the bed like that <laughs> that's a great sequence but i was like well, all those kids aren't gonna wake up they're talking really loud next <laughs> to those two kids they're having like a full-on combo, yeah. <laughs> Although it does feel like the with the kind of the tension in that scene, like I'm sure that's like an every night occurrence. Like I feel like those kids can like sleep through anything, you know, just like, <laughs> oh no, like there's there's some bad blood there between Meryl Streep and Alison Brie, so. I think just on like a little fun fact, and I don't know if this is common knowledge or not, but like a legal nerd kind of fun fact, right before they go to the Supreme Court, after they've published the Pentagon Papers, they get a call from the White House being like, hey, like, please stop, like, we're gonna put you in jail. And they're like, no, sorry, we're not, we're gonna publish it. And they're like, okay, we'll see you in court. But the guy who calls them is William Rehnquist, who was like an assistant Mm -hmm. uh, attorney general, and who later goes on to be the chief justice of the Supreme Court. So that's great. The guy that was like, we want to destroy your newspaper is like, (laughs) you know, 10 years later, the Supreme Court chief justice. So that's that's always good. <laughs> super cool. Super, super cool. Isn't this country great? Speaking of phone calls, were those the real Nixon tapes yes. we were hearing? Yes. Oh my God, that was terrific. That was great. You guys are lucky I spared you my Nixon this entire... I just forgot to do it. That's all. There's still time, Mike. There is still yeah, time for you to drop it. one. Let's hear it. Benjamin Bradley, Hanks' character in this movie, his son is the John Slattery role in Spotlight. So that's a journalism lineage, a journalism family. So... Apple does not fall far from the tree. Apparently, you know, we were talking, Mike, when we tried, when we did the Walt Disney episode, Saving Mr. Banks, that Hanks is related to Walt Disney. We found out that Hanks is related somehow to Mr. Rogers, that he's also, like, way distant related to Abraham Lincoln, but also, apparently, also related to Ben Bradley. So, like, I don't know, I don't know if this is, like, in the Genghis Khan, like, hey, we're all related, but it just feels like all these kind of famous people or people he's playing or whatever are all intertwined in his family tree, but at, at some point, I don't believe it anymore, but also also at the same time like why would they lie like who who cares so i don't know that's some wild nepotism no <laughs> but uh i'm now you know i was thinking you know uh, in previous episodes if spielberg had some kind of spy trilogy up his sleeve and now i'm just i don't you know this might be his third spy film i don't know but what fascinates me even more is that this a few good men and spotlight might be a trilogy uh because mm. that sort of right like takes mm-hmm. on the lineage of one of these characters i mean i know i'm stretching but... <laughs> I'm just trying to get it all out of the system. (laughs) 
so we have Bradley Whitford in this movie, but he's back from Philadelphia and Saving Mr. Banks. This is a trifecta. He's in the Three Timers Club. And we also have Jason Robards, uh, not in this movie, but played Ben Bradley in All the President's Men and played Tom Hanks's boss in Philadelphia. So there's kind of a Ben Bradley-Hanks connection oh, there, too. Right. So right. Weird little thing. And then the only other trivia of note, because I don't, I don't know if we've actually, you know, we're like 55 episodes into this. I don't know that we've mentioned this, but Tom Hanks loves typewriters. And apparently he, he tested every single typewriter on set and <laughs> took one and kept it. And apparently he told the props department, quote, I informed them I'm either buying it or stealing it. It's up to you. He went around and tried everyone and he took a Corona Zephyr. You know, I guess he, he had a preference, but he's got so many dozens of typewriters, I think, if not more. Right. So crazy. That's crazy. Awesome. OK, I, d- I don't know how this would go. Could Tom Cruise play the role of Ben Bradley? Or if not, is there a role? I'm sure there is because there's like a dozen roles that are all like exquisitely well written. But like, is there a role that he could play otherwise if he wouldn't if, 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 you, know, if you don't see him as Ben Bradley? Tobin, what do you think? Yeah, I, I would give him the Matthew Reese role. OK, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Yep. The paranoid Inside man, totally like sweating, and you just have to find a, a place for him to run, and then it, and then he he played Daniel Ellsberg, and this is maybe the only movie where you'd cast Tom Cruise as Daniel Ellsberg, but I I do, I would do it here. I was thinking the same thing. Otherwise, you need to like wait. I, I don't know if you could make up Tom Cruise. I know Tom Cruise isn't much younger than Hanks, but he just seems so much younger than mm-hmm. Hanks. I don't know if he has the weight necessarily to play Bradley, but I agree with Tobin. Michael, what about you? What do you think? I mean, yeah, he definitely can't play Ben Bradley, but I think he could do the Bob Odenkirk role. I think he would be good as, like, the reporter who who gets the story, but I don't know. I feel like I could see his energy translating into the nervous energy of Bob Odenkirk throughout this movie, and kind of the standoffishness when he's, like, being challenged on who his source is. I feel like that would be a great moment for him. Yeah, that that's a good point. And he's also sort of the Ellsberg counterpart in a lot of ways, right? So, like, they're almost sort of similar uh, mannerisms and modes of thinking and acting. Yeah. Cool. And then the other question, which I think we've already said yes, just because of how he was off the set, but is he America's dad in this? I mean, in the movie, as the character... What, like a very undersung thing, I think, is him overcharging his friends and colleagues for his daughter's lemonade. Just like, oh no, it's not 25 cents, it's 50 cents. And then she rakes in like what looks to be several hundred dollars in lemonade. So I don't know why they collectively have that much cash there. Like, I know it's just like a joke and it's to show the passage of time. But like, if he's, if that's not like a great, like, hey, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to pay for your college education because like they're all trapped in this like going through these papers like i don't know what a good father is so any dissension anybody think that he's not a good dad in this movie great dad 10 out of 10 dad 10 out of 10 dad okay maybe like 8 out of 10 (laughs) (laughs) it's at the top of his dad performances for sure i think he's a good dad yeah i wasn't trying to like scare you off from being 10 out of 10 but like a 10 out of 10 dad is just like that's a that's a strong dad well you know he's he's hard but fair in the newsroom right like i feel like he doesn't let people get away with shit but he's also like you know take a risk yeah but i also don't know if he knows his his daughter's name like i'm not convinced that he (laughs) knew her name. <laughs> so maybe eight out of ten. Because it does feel like he's both a good husband, but also just like intensely consumed by his work. You know, it's just like Sarah Paulson's like basically come in like, oh, finally you're home. Oh, you're leaving now. Okay. Oh, and you invited the entire newsroom over tomorrow. Okay, cool. Like, good. Just want to make sure that we're, like we're on the same page there. Cool. I think they have a good relationship because like that's okay. Like that. You know, she's okay with that. But it's also at the same time like, oh, maybe this is not great. Yeah, it's hard too because there's that 
very cringy scene when Meryl Streep and everybody are having their fancy dinner and uh, someone's like, oh, that's the cue for the ladies to leave. And like everybody gets up and hustles out. And you could tell Meryl Streep's like this shit again. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking belong in that room, you know? And like they sit around and talk politics and the women go in and talk like, you know, entertainment and shit. And it's like, man, that's so real, but, but frustrating, you know? And I think maybe Spielberg's just really good at like doing that kind of thing, like just portraying. Uh, even though it's still sort of like a fantastical, you know, on some end, it's a fantasy, not a fantasy, but like it's a fantastical portrayal of real events and stuff. Like it's very grounded in those types of moments too. In that scene, there's like this, sorry, this is like a tangent, but like Dan Bukatinsky's in that. He's the guy from Scandal. I don't know if, if you saw him, you'd know him. He's in that scene for like two seconds. He's one of the ones who's like, oh, what's going on with Nixon and China? And he's doing like the most like obscene, like mid-Atlantic, mid-century accent that like no one else <laughs> in the scene is like even coming close to matching. He's just like going all out in kind of like a movie that maybe took place in a slightly different part of the country at a slightly different time. And he's just like going for it. And you're like, is that really how they talk? And then no one else talks like that. And you're like, that might have just been him. And everyone was like well he's here for a day what are you gonna do <laughs> <laughs> that's what you get with no rehearsal yeah and they're on a deadline they, they don't have enough time or maybe budget to have reshoots it's just like yeah all right whatever like i even feel like to that point like hanks's accent is pretty consistent but also like isn't always there it's just like oh like he's like leaning into it in the scene i feel like he he drops it completely for me like i i, I noticed it immediately and then i never <laughs> noticed it again the entire movie <laughs> it goes in and out i think so this movie was nominated for the Best Picture that year. It was one of the stacked Best Picture nominations. It lost to The Shape of Water. So, I mean, I, I love that movie. I don't know if it should win Best Picture, but Call Me By Your Name and Dunkirk and Get Out and Lady Bird and Phantom Thread and, wow. like it, and others. Year. Yeah, like that was a, a stacked Good year. year. What a year in movies. Meryl also was nominated for that. She lost to Francis McDormand for Three Billboards, which is also nominated, but I'm not going to talk about that movie. because. But the Golden Globes, more appropriate to this show, nominated but did not win Best Motion Picture Drama, Best Director, Best Screenplay. Hanks was nominated, Meryl Streep was nominated, and a name we did not mention yet, I don't think, uh, John Williams, I think like his 18th collaboration or something with Spielberg, like some ridiculously high number, maybe even a number higher than that, nominated for Best Original Score at the Golden Globes, but did not win anything. Nominated a bunch, but did not win anything. I feel like these days i don't know that they want to give spielberg awards because not that he already has everything that already but like it's like what does he need an award like they're just great you know what i'm saying like it's almost just the nomination is is all he really needs and stuff i don't know i i've just got like this weird thought process about like of course it's going to be a great movie like why do we even need to like bother you know with the extra recognition i mean you know granted ready player one okay not a great movie but like definitely for technology in filmmaking we probably wouldn't have the way they make the Mandalorian today if they didn't, you know, make that movie and the way they shot that film on a fully digital set or whatever. So like, you know, there's always sort of like caveats, even to failures, I guess. They made a joke about that at the Golden Globes that year with Seth Meyers, where he was like describing the Best Picture nominees and he was like, The Post, you know, it's about like Freedom of the Press directed by Steven Spielberg with Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks. And then they had someone come out with the Golden Globes and they, he was like, no, 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 not yet. Like, we'll, we'll announce them later. Because it like felt like this movie that's like, how do they not win these awards? I will... I will submit that if it was maybe called most screenplay, they would have won as opposed to best <laughs> screenplay. I think they could have like cleaned up that category. Speaking of awards, the Woody's, the Tom Hanks Awards, the best and the worst of Tom Hanks' filmography. Best film, yes, The Post. Best role 
or no? Is Ben Bradley one of Tom Hanks's defining roles? No. No. I don't know that Tom Hanks really stands out. Like, there's moments, but, like, he's just kind of part of the whole, right? I mean, he's great in, in this role, but you're right. He doesn't feel like the main character to me. It felt more like the ensemble was the point. So best ensemble, for sure, the post. Best fight? Tom Hanks does not get into a fight, at least a fist fight. Best dance scene? I don't think he dances. Best <laughs> party scene? I don't think... No, he's not really at their, at her parties. They look like great parties. But... Yeah, I need to ask Michael a question. I know that you love Meryl's outfits in these. I know that you would like to spend any time at all with Meryl, but like, is this the kind of Meryl... Like, so Tobin asked before about where this fits in her career. Where does this party fall in the career of Meryl parties in movies? Is that a thing? It's no it's no dancing on the docks in Mamma Mia, I'll tell you that much. I would say also, like, when you said party, the first one I thought of was, like, a kind of realistic journalism party where they, like, it's when, it's when the, the stock, they sell the stock, and they're having a party yeah. in the office, and they're all, like, you know, under the shitty fluorescent lights, and then the news comes over the TV that, like, oh, by the way, the Times is being, like, sued, and they're being, like, prevented from publishing further, and... Tom Hanks is like, okay, everyone back to work. I'm like, wow, classic journalism party when like breaking news happens. And it's like, all right, party's over. That's the party I thought of when I think of this movie is the <laughs> one that gets canceled by news events. All good parties end with your boss saying, all right, back to work. Yeah. <laughs> Best death, he does not die. Best line. So I was I was texting Mike as, because I don't know if people out there listen all the way through. I think maybe people, okay, not to throw your sister under the bus, Tobin, but like it took Iceland a while to realize that when you edited the contenders that you sort of snuck Easter eggs after the music. She just like, oh, the music's on or whatever. I'm just not going to listen. And mm-hmm. so like it was kind of kind of far into your podcast before yes, it she was. was like, yeah, oh, wait, there's there's more like, yeah, yeah. And like it's, it's not I don't want to say it's the best part of the contenders, but like sometimes it's the best part of the show. It's just like this like weird, goofy thing that doesn't fit anywhere else. So Mike, when he edits the podcast, he edits Hanks for the Memories, he'll do the music, but then he'll drop a little Hanks quote at the end. So I don't know if people out there listening listen all the way through and hear the quote at the end, but he always has a quote at the end. And so I was texting him lines because I feel like in the grand scheme of things, I don't know if they're necessarily his most iconic lines, but in the scope of what we're doing, like the kinds of lines that it seems like Mike picks, like there's a line that he says in here. Again, I don't know if this is nomination. I'm ramping up to a line that might be under what we might not even nominate, but he just says, my God, the fun. Just like, he's just such a journalism nerd in that one moment where I'm just like, yeah, okay, cool. I like that. Yeah, to his to his receptionist out there. Is yes. just, it's just a little offhanded thing, and then he taps the table. I love that moment. That's such good. Such All right, good so things, I will yeah. nominate that because like I don't know if it's gonna keep. I don't know if it's gonna whatever. But like, my God, sure. the fun. That was a long way to go, but I'm glad that you. Uh, <laughs> you like that <laughs> I, I, I second that nomination. Best freak out. I don't. Like, he's he's pretty level headed for like a movie where like things are kind of going wrong the entire time. People freak out around him, but he's he's keeping his cool. Yeah. There is another line that he says. If we don't hold them accountable, then my God, who will? Like, that's another great line. I still like my God, the fun, though. I guess just him saying my God is like a, a trigger for me. Oh, he uh, smokes in this movie. I noticed that. And he, he drops an F-bomb at some point. On the point, phone, right? Can... Like, very, yeah, very like, kind phone, of yeah. muffled, but yeah. He was sneaking that kind of stuff in, though, the last few films. Like, he smoked as Disney, but like, as soon as they opened the door, he like put it under the counter or whatever, put it under his desk. And I did not mention, but there's the shot where they're all opening the box that Bob Odenkirk brings back from Boston, and it's just the six faces like in kind of like a Tarantino-esque like trunk shot where they're just all like as the box opens and I was like why can't Tom Hanks be in there because like that's the episode art right because like that's like the shot but then I found this one of him in the office just like with his feet up and everybody just <laughs> staring at him and I'm like this will work this is pretty good too so I kind of you know a very relaxed very calm cool collected best music no probably not best or worst Hanks love story again Sarah Paulson is 
good in her small part, but it's not really a love story. That's not the, the, the key here. Love of journalism. Yeah, right. Exactly. Oh, Tom Hanks and the written word? Okay, yeah. we're going to put that down. Uh, I don't know if it's going to stick around. And then the final categories, we already have Best Ensemble nominated. Is there any particular actor, male or female, that stands out? Anybody in particular that stands out above the rest as... Is Meryl? <laughs> um, I mean... Um, Am I going to say it, or is someone else going to say it? I would say so, yeah. Also, I feel like this is her movie, even Mm. though it's pretty evenly not her movie. Like, I bet if you timed it, her and Hanks probably have, like, pretty close to the same screen time. But, like, it just feels like it falls on her more for me. It's definitely her story, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and she is so good. She's she's so much better than I even remembered in this. I yeah, her character had the arc right. Like mm-hmm, Hanks right. didn't really change as a person. He was just sort of proven right or whatever. And like she actually, you could sort of see the transformation. Somebody should do a podcast about her. I feel like we could really dive <laughs> deep into her career and just you know really sink in, especially like in years where she's nominated but doesn't win. Uh, I think that that's like a real interesting angle that I, just somebody out there's got to do it. So um, Michael, what do you have to plug? Anything anything you got going on? Um yeah, no, I'm actually busy so i wish it's a really good idea i just you know i'm glad you like it yeah i have other things going on but yeah no but thank you for for joining us but michael please you know meryl is sort of long in your rear view for now but please let people know about not her again and what you got going on you can find us on itunes and everywhere else you get podcasts and follow us on twitter at not her again pod basically we look at the career of a different actress so we did meryl streep for the first season we looked at all the years she lost an oscar which included the post it was kind of as we were recording we were like oh i wonder if she'll win and then she lost and we were like great because we already did the episode <laughs> then we did julia roberts kind of just kind of looking at her career from like this 90s superstar to now and then we are currently doing katherine hepburn i think we're officially halfway through because we are doing her through her oscar nominations because she's in way too many movies and she got 12 best actress nominations so we are halfway through the next episode comes out soon but yeah that's kind of what i'm doing and you can also find me on twitter at mj but like you're never gonna find that so just like i'm not her again i was saying to you on twitter that our friend and past guest and not future guest but only because we don't have very many episodes left but brian rodriguez uh when he was doing the kissing booth 2 episode for his podcast high school summer party was comparing joey king to julia roberts and i was like oof, like that is you know no knock to joey king but like julia roberts is julia roberts and i was just sort of joking but i was like michael you might have to cover joey king because if if, if julia roberts does it for you in terms of like her acting like you might need to cover joey king so season four or something maybe uh stay tuned for joey king on not her again yeah i mean she's been in like three movies so i think you know we can really we can we can dive deep it'll be great but the but the good news is that she's lost the best actress nomination all three times right so yeah uh, that's true it's a good angle tobin please tell people about the contenders my sister and i do a podcast called the contenders about movies made by and or starring fearless women uh, we're in the middle of a uh, i don't know when this episode comes out oh wait way later than this this comes out toward the end of september well i have no idea what we're gonna be doing <laughs> in september but you can listen back to our august episode we're doing a gina prince by the wood sort of mini mini series we've covered love and basketball and we're going to do the old guard on netflix with Charlize theron go listen to those and then yeah find out what we're doing now you can find uh, us on uh, anywhere you get your podcast the contenders and contenders underscore pod on twitter very very cool now mike the next episode you and i have is a movie that we have talked about already over on keanu club but we are looking at a different angle this time and going to marvel once again at the like dust bunnies atop cabinets in toy story 4 like i know there's more visually spectacular things but 
feel like you and I are both hung up on like why are, why does the dust look so good in this movie? <laughs> yeah, I mean, is there like like a nerdier way to watch a Pixar movie than like oh look how the light bounces <laughs> off of that mirror yeah. and the refraction yep. of the oh my goodness and and it's like pay attention to the story, dummy. It's like oh, wait, what? <laughs> to kaboom, man. But we're gonna do Toy Story four, and also you found a thing to add. We're gonna do 2020's Lamp Life, which uh, is a short on Disney Plus. So Toy Story four plus Lamp Life coming at you next Friday. But for all things Hanks to the Memories, you go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub. We're at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Come back next week for Toy Story 4 and Lamp Life. Check out all 55 episodes of this podcast, all 1,700-something of all of our shows, including 40 or 50 of The Contenders and 45 or so of Cruise Club and lots of different podcasts at cageclub.me slash shows. We've only got three more movies and a handful of other sort of bonus episodes as we wind down Hanks, but we're getting there, and it's only clear skies ahead. It's all good movies from here on out, so I'm very, very excited. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Michael DeManico of the Not Her Again podcast and Tobin Addington of the Contenders podcast. And we'll see you next time right here on Hanks for the Memories. left one to be in this mess. Yeah.